bring it up. Love is the new medicine. Is it not love that heals the brokenhearted or lifts the crying child into its arms, comforting, wiping away its tears, fears, and years of neglect in just one hug or a kiss? Who can miss love's presence on a rainy day? Or overlook its influence when in dismay. Nay, each time it appears, duty follows. For in its wake, all lies are swallowed up. And that's the truth. Love. Not some simple episode on a mundane show or a passing moment in time. It is prime, foremost in all things. For what it brings is indelible, memorable. It removes all doubt, it calls death out, and makes men shout, and woman proclaim its name again and again and again. Love is a friend that sits in waiting, not hating or outdated, but long awaited when alone, not secluded to one, but for all who seek its face. There's grace, embracing its all-encompassing forgiveness when needed or not. Believe it or not, but love's all we've got when all else fails. For God is love. Love is healing. Love is the new medicine. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger. Assalamu alaikum, which means peace be unto you. Welcome, 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 family, to love, the new medicine, conversations on healing with Dr. Tissa Muhammad. Today's music, enhancing the background today uh, in today's conversation, is that of Chris Dabrowski, and it's from his album, Cylinder. With that being said, I would like to bring on our brother, sister, Dr. Tissa Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Tissa. Assalamu salam, Sister Sharita. How are you doing, beloved? I'm fine, thank you, ma'am. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and that Muhammad is indeed his true and righteous servant. And I really thank Allah for the opportunity for us to have this conversation on healing long-awaited and definitely a necessity at this time. So whenever you're ready, sister, we can begin. Praise be to Allah. Well, Sister Tissa, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? And also, can you please lay the foundation for our conversation? Thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, indeed. This is actually an episode that's dealing with the whole aspect of love. And not love as traditionally looked upon and how we have been given it, you know, in a sense, this is the love or the conversation on love that we are looking at from the perspective of love being everything that we see. Love is the creation that we are here as, you know, those who are able to behold it. 
if we look at ourselves, we can understand that we ourselves are created in that whole aspect of love. Love is a vibrational frequency, Sister Sharita and family, and it is something that sometimes I think we can overlook when we go outside for, you know, taking a little bit of time walking in nature and being able to look up at the sun. We forget that that was created in love, and it was for us to be able to bring forth a certain type of frequency, energy, nutrients from our own bodies, warm us, keep us comforted, even with the wind that blows and flowers and trees that grow, everything that we have in our environment, all of it is a manifestation of God's divine love. But this conversation that we're having, Conversations on Healing, will be a series that will deal specifically with looking at love from the aspect of our emotional realm. This is a conversation we have had before, but I think we are going to delve a little bit deeper into it because I would really like for us to be able to explore various conditions throughout this and many other subjects to matter, these various conversations, looking at the origin of our diseased state and looking at our ability to heal ourselves. And this is what the conversation really is. It is a conversation on healing, to restore our faith and confidence in ourselves and our own personal abilities to heal ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, Dr. Sister, as you were speaking, I thought about this in regards to thought and healing. Can you tell us um, uh, the power of thought in regards to healing? Our thought influences everything. You know... A lot of us live in an environment where we may look around our environment and we feel that somebody is doing something to us. You know, it's uh, almost this thought that, well, my life is the way it is because, well, my father, you know, my daddy wasn't rich or my mother, (laughs) she was a prostitute or my brother, you know, he shouldn't have committed that murder or, or sold those drugs and got us in trouble and we got kicked out that nice house and, you know, my father he couldn't afford to go and pay those bills. And so, you know, well, here we are. Mommy's here suffering and struggling. But if we go and we delve deeper into the circumstances of our own present life, even those circumstances that are presented, you know, within our own life dynamic or family dynamic, we'll discover that we personally had something to do with that particular dynamic. We fail to understand the power of the mind. We're taught that, you know, thought travels at the rate of 24 billion miles per second. So even a baby influences its environment. And if you think I'm joking on that, I got seven of them who I can prove in no limit of time have a serious influence on our environment. From the the moment they wake up in the morning, and Sister Sharita, you could bear witness with your own children. They wake up in the morning. (laughs) If they want to get something to eat, (laughs) either they will ask you directly or they will go down to the kitchen. (laughs) And in no time, you're going to start thinking, you know what, let me go feed that baby. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And it is because... No matter what you're doing, you will always have in the back of your mind, I got to, I have to feed my child because that child's desire is to eat and they're going to influence the environment with their desire. When they're babies, they cry. And even if they don't cry, we are aware just through our own physiological responses, 
like the dropping of the breast milk or, you know, just the feeling that a mother has in her when she's, you know, miles away from her baby. Oh, boy, it's, it's, it's feeding time for my child. We feel those things, you know. The baby could be deep in sleep, but we know, okay, boom, the milk drops. It's time for the baby. The baby will be getting up soon. And lo and behold, before long, there's that child. Thought has never really been able to be proven um, to have an influence on our environment in this or to this extent. It's always been a theory until the studies given to us by Dr. Emoto, um, Masuro Emoto. He's actually a Japanese doctor, and may Allah be pleased with his soul, who transitioned several years ago. Actually, no, last year, not that several years. It's been a year and a half now, please forgive me. And he did a study, Sister Sharita, on water. And what he did in this study on water was he took a glass of water, you know, and he froze it slowly in a process, in a sense, to sort of create what would be called crystals. In a sense, this is what we would call snowflakes. So he did a nice slow freezing of this water. And he was able to take a magnification of that water and take a picture of it. And he took this picture and isolated it. And then he took other water and he had this water with an influence of a thought on it. This water, in a sense, was programmed. Let's look at it from that standpoint. There was a sheet of paper written with a prayer on it or a word on it or an intention on it and wrapped around that bottle. And then he extracted once again the same water and he he slowly froze that water again in this process that he developed and magnified that. And it was something that was to absolutely blow our minds. For those who want to see it, you can go online and take a look at this particular study from Dr. Emoto, E-M-O-T-O, and you can see that Dr. Emoto gave us something to ponder, something new to look at and explore. Because if you were able to say, I love you, on that paper, then the image that was there was such a beautiful structure it was the crystal was was absolutely well formed and i mean just a magnificent shape and structure and yeah. it was organized now if someone said in comparison to that well i hate you that in comparison to the i love you crystal was something of a discom- discombobulated mess it was it was like it was blown into several pieces the same went for heavy metal music it was extremely disorganized and blown into pieces. But jazz and, and the playing of Mozart or Bach or Beethoven or any classical music with the high frequencies of intention displayed an image that was so beautiful, you know, that when you kind of looked at that particular image, you were able to see that in that image, it was something that was an organized image that was similar to that of the image of love, you know? So this is something that we have to look at in regards to how our thinking is. And that theory, indeed, it is truly love that makes everything that we see organized from the way that the flowers are laid out, you know, the way that the trees are organized, the way the limbs are laid out. All of these things are all part of this influential structure that comes out of the mind of a greater being by whatever name we may call that one, that great I am, 
but it's all the magn- magnific- uh, magnification or magnificent expression of the magnification of his love for us individually and his love for all of creation. Beautiful. Yes, you know, as you were speaking, I thought about, um, and, and really my next question was about words and how spoken word, how can it, or how spoken word, how can it affect us on a cellular level or can it affect us on a cellular level? But you really went into that with what you just shared with us. You know, because yeah. words are very powerful. But again, as you were speaking, I thought about love and love having a frequency, you know, and um, when we look at creation, we can see it, as you said, but also we can see it, you know, um, and, and you, again, you explained it when you talked about the um, the crystals in the water, and you can see that sometime on us physically, you know what I mean? You can actually see that on us. What was said to us, or what was, what was, <clears throat> excuse me, or the type of environment that we may have come out of. Can you please um, expand on that as well, please? Indeed, and this is a good way to begin this conversation because, indeed, we're going to delve deeper, um, Sister Sharita, as you know, into our original home environment, you know, that which was given to us by our mothers. You know, when we look into the amniotic fluid of our own creation, why is it that we were... You know, and this is really one of those big questions. Why is it that our first home is that of water? Mm-hmm. You know, when we look at it from the standpoint of what I was just sharing with Dr. Emoto, and this is really a theory because the answer in that, of course, does it is present, but we can only theorize in the sense as to why that is. I would state that could it be because of the fact that when you look at our original creation, just being water in our mother's, you know, the, in her, the cell that she has that egg called the ovum, being the largest egg or the largest um, cell rather in the human body, and then the sperm from the father being what is considered to be the smallest cell of the cells in the human body and they're coming together both of them are in within themselves their own environment of water and upon conception as we call it which is the coming together of that egg and that ovum that that egg rather and the sperm rather excuse me coming together and joining once again we go back into a watery state and then when we attach ourselves there's water that sort of um, encompasses this cell and protects it. And within that water, they have found that there is information, genetic information, just as they sort of say, just floating around in there, you know. But I have often wondered if that information that they are seeing is not the influence of thoughts from the environment Mm. of the mother, the father, and of course the environment and of course, ultimately, what is spoken into that water by God Himself. As we grow in that structure, in that in that beautiful womb-like structure, our mother's womb, and we're we're nurtured in that environment. You know, Sister Charita, we have been shown 
through how to give birth to a guy by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan that any disruption to that water causes a disruption to the frequency of the very being that is in the water, us. Some of that can be so destructive in terms of the thinking or the intentions on that water that it has been discovered that it actually causes a genetic disruption. You see what I'm saying, sister? I mean, an actual oh, yes. genetic destruction or disruption wow. because there's a vibrational frequency that is in that environment called the womb. And that vibrational frequency that is in the womb, in our mother's womb, is really supposed to be ultimately that of love and welcoming and healing and, you know, togetherness and unity. But as we know, many of us have, and we could bear witness that that was not the environment in which we were reared. That was not our first memories. And if we go back and extract the thoughts from the womb memories, many of them are very sad or disrupted or rejection, you know, or feelings of hatred or hiding. And all of these actually bear witness in our life. So we find ourselves at times going back into those types of thoughts or they underline everything we do in our life experience. If someone gives you something and let's say your womb memory is that when something was given to your mother, it was immediately slatched, snatched away and she was slapped. Then anytime someone tries to offer you something and now you're not your mother, but yet you are your mother because you were there as part of her for nine months. Someone passes you something and automatically your innate thought is they're going to try to take it away and slap me. And because of that kind of thinking and that influential thinking that we have on our womb, from our, our womb being our mind, from the original womb being our mother's womb, it actually sets a map for our entire life expression experience and every single thing that we do. It's all about that main thought that somebody is going to take it back and slap me, <laughs> you know. So we're very defensive as opposed to someone who was used to an environment where they received a lot of love, you know, in the womb and someone always welcoming them, you know. Look at how their perspective is on life. Now, I will also state that because they have this view of life, it could also be something that would not necessarily prepare them for someone who was being deceptive. So they would be thoroughly mm. ill-prepared for someone who would be trying to do something malicious to them. So either way, we can see that our womb memories set up a foundation for how we live life and our expectations and how we live with other people in our environment. And that's something that has to be and can be explored further as we go further into these conversations over the course of these next 10 weeks. Yes, yes, yeah, beautiful. Sister Tissa, you know, um, I want to get into, let's just talk about some of the things that we will be talking about during these 10 weeks. 
You know what I mean? Like maybe we can just let the audience know exactly what we're going to be doing, um, inshallah, week by yes. week. Just a little bit, you know? An yes, indeed. Thank you, well, you know what has been given to us to discuss in these conversations on healing, Sister Sharita, is the following. We're going to spend, God willing, each of these episodes sort of discussing the different levels and stages of our development in the womb. And sort of looking at how those stages affected, you know, um, not only our development, but the conflicts that arise. For example, you know, one of the main stages which we can get into, I know we're going to delve into that a little bit more next week, inshallah, we'll be dealing with this whole aspect of um, the colon you know, it's dealing with the mouth all the way through to the colon, out through the, the rectum, for example. So physiological development in embryology, which is the study of the origin of how we were made or, or formed, you know, from the moment of conception to birth. All of these are the foundation, as we had sort of just touched on a little while ago, to our thinking and how we approach life. So it is my intention to get into looking at all of the conflicts that surround, you know, the mouth all the way down into the stomach, all the way out through the intestinal tract, out through the colon and the anus. And once we sort of delve into that, Sister Sharita, then, you know, I think that we should start to see ourselves, you know, in living form, you know, (laughs) some of us will say, well, this explains why I get constipated (laughs) whenever I have family conflicts. (laughs) Yes, yes, and how can we overcome them, yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly, Exactly, because there is a way of overcoming it. And you know Mm -hmm. where this all comes from, Sister Sharita? It really comes from something we've seen in the Bible where it states the following, and I know it's in the book of John, where it states that first there was the word, and the word was God. You know, or no, yes. sorry. First, it was a word, and the word was with God. There you go. And then the word, and the word was, was God. God. Yes. Then the word became flesh and dwelt among men. I've discovered mm-hmm. in medicine, and and for those, um, I know I didn't even state it, but I should say that I am a doctor of natural medicine, homeopathic medicine, orthomolecular medicine, which is simply nutritional medicine and vibrational medicine. But all of this is not anything that was given to me in my training in natural medicine. This is something that was developed over the course of years of not just studying with people who I think are just, you know, savants in in terms of the field of natural medicine, but really in studying the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like it ties in the key. And then, of course, the information that was shared by a doctor named Dr. Um, Hamer, who deals with uh, what is, he terms as German New Medicine, which is an indigenous means of looking at healing from the origin of our emotional realm, our conflicts, our thoughts. So in the exploration of this information as given and inspired for me to look at from the perspective of the teachings as given by Allah to us, It's something that shows us that 
our thinking actually draws forth the condition. If somebody has a heart condition, it didn't just happen. A heart condition is linked to a specific way of thinking. And it also depends on whether you're a male or a female, (laughs) what the thought is that is creating that condition. In addition to that, I would say Mm -hmm. that if you look at any other physiological condition, for example, my kidneys or what happened with this or that, all of these are conflicts that need to be explored. And if we go back to the original thought or the the, the sentence or the statement, that was the Mm -hmm. word. And the word was with God. Who's God? You're God. You know, and then the word was God. So in other words, that thought became the formal Mm. thought. Yes. So, you know, from, from, okay, I'm afraid of of starving to I'm starving. Now that's the word, you know, that's God. (laughs) And then the word becomes flesh. Uh Oh, now I'm having problems with my, you know, it could be with, when it comes to starvation, it could be something that affects the liver or the small intestines, you know, it depends on the, the complexity of the thought. The more complex the thought, the more complex the condition. And therefore, it will differentiate between whether it's the small intestinal tract, which is less complex than the liver, which was formed later in the later stages of the development of the fetus during embryology. So that's a more complex, more defined starvation issue, you see, linked to work linked to the loss of jobs or, you know, all kinds of different things. And we're going to delve, inshallah, into that, sister. Wow. Sister Tissa, can you give us an example of the difference between a man and a woman having a heart attack? I know you spoke on that. You touched on that. Yes, ma'am. Can you give us an example, please? Thank you, ma'am. Just to touch on that aspect, sister, which I know we're going to delve deeper into that during that particular week, um, the heart of a man is different from the heart of a woman. The heart of a man and woman is also different and differentiated during, um, based on the left-handedness or right-handedness. Um, why is that? Because if someone is right-handed, it means that they are foremost a creative thinker um, versus an analytical thinker. So in other words, not to say that they're less intelligent because this is the way this world tries to term it, but it means that in a sense, the creative outlook on life, it sort of, uh, it sets the tone for everything, you know. Mm. They could hear music and see music or see uh, poetry or art in things, you know. The analytical mind sort of approaches things more from breaking it down to the to quintess- quintessential um, basic oh, form yeah. of itself. <laughs> you know, so yeah. the analytical, which is more of a left-handedness, is uh, approaches things first from that versus, you know, the uh, creative aspect that sort of falls yeah. back behind the analytical mind. However, in a, in a sense, we should be seeking to be ambidextrous, <laughs> you know, yes. if we can. <laughs> the use of both yeah. hands is extremely important because that way, even with this show, the way that we set the format up, Sister Sharita, as you know, it was impressed upon us to put music in the background of our conversation. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, you know, how our listeners may like this, but this is something that was impressed upon us 
and it came to us in our exploration of the why you know we felt in, inspired to do this that really it is because it allows us to be able to properly absorb intellectual information with having the balance of the creative you know just sort of uh it, it makes what is it it's like adding seasoning to soup you could just put the soup on the table but the proper digestion of the soup is going to come from the color <laughs> you know yeah. the taste and really those spices and you know the the bit of those little essences that we put inside of there not to mention overall our love for that person who we're, we're cooking for allows it to be properly digested and so we are sort of delving into utilizing the love that we have for the information and for the people receiving it our love for wanting people to be able to receive it you know that for a few years you've actually asked me to do something along these lines and i never really felt ready to do that but all of this is sort of within a timing aspect it's all mm. just sort of just unfolded in a sense sister as you know and yes, i believe that the time allahu akbar has dictated the agenda which is love the new medicine because we have to understand that everything that we're going through if we begin to determine more self-love and not selfishness but right. self-love which is very selfless you know taking better care of ourselves and really guarding our minds guarding our thoughts then we're going to be very successful i believe in being able to overcome what is being presented to us at this time you know in mm -hmm. our environment so that we will not become a victim to our thoughts and i mean the pressure is on sister sharita every time we turn mm -hmm. around there's a young person a black man or woman being gunned down or hung in some prison and there's no explanation that hurts us it's very very mm -hmm. painful for us however what we are going to start to realize is that even with all of this happening, we have to still have so much trust and faith in Allah and God that irregardless of what happens, the roof could be falling, but we have to keep our foundation very strong. And so it is our desire through this show to be able to give our listeners an ability to delve deeper into their foundation themselves and finding that God in self and feeling confident and comfortable with knowing that, you know, we can keep our thoughts on a higher level and all will indeed be well. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I really love it. And when you were speaking about the, uh, the soup, making the soup, and I thought in all the content or the ingredients that goes into the soup, I thought about the energy, you know what I mean? And so when you, and so um, hearing the music, it kind of gives that energy, you know, it adds to the energy. Let me say that. Yes, love it. Let's talk about music and energy. Let's talk about that. Can you speak on that as well? Yes, indeed. You know, um, music, as we're talking about music, I'm hearing the music behind us. You notice that this music, it's sort of, um, it's emotive. It pulls a specific type of feeling yes and music is linked to our emotional realm 
music can make us feel hope or hopeless. And clearly, music has an influence on everything because look at what we can see that's happening when we look at the specific occurrences in water with the thinking that we have, you know? So what greater way for us to bear witness to music and the power of music than just looking at Dr. Emoto's study of the different types of music from the jazz to the classical music to the, as he did, the music that was the um, heavy metal music. And each one changed the structure of the water. I would also want to say that music, in a sense, has an intention locked in it. The person who created the music... You ever notice that when you hear, like, okay, a good person to use as an example is Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross sings to us, and you notice that he touches your heart so deeply that you could feel Luther when he's singing. (laughs) And there's some singers, when they sing, they just, I mean, they encapsulate the moment, and it's so memorable. It's like you're right there with them as they they release that song. You're in the studio with them at that moment. Prince was somebody who did that type of thing as well, would take a moment to himself. You know, we hear it in Michael Jackson. You can hear him crying through different tracks as he's yes. belting out these powerful pieces. You could feel him inspired in Man in the Mirror, you know, and you could feel that, that absolute love as he's dancing. You're dancing. You feel it. You're right there with him, you know. Why? Because he's delving deeply into himself and he's touching that emotion and it's expressed Mm. in the music. Now, someone else could take the very same song, but they may not have an understanding of the words. And so because they cannot take the words and encapsulate it in their own words and their own thoughts or their own experiences, then what will come forth, we will feel that and hear that in the song. And that, I believe, is what makes a song timeless versus just for the moment, a one-hit wonder, you know, things that people just kind of will remember when versus something that is played over and over and over again and never forgotten, you know. So music is a life expression. If we go and we study each note, each note is linked to our own body physically Music actually touches each organ in our body, specific, and we're going to get into this in another conversation, but specific organs vibrate to the frequency of certain notes. If you hear a song that is in harmonic resonance, that particular song, with all the notes just lining up and just blending perfectly, actually will be opening at one time various chakra wheels or centers in our body. Those are energy centers Mm. that are in our body. So even as we're listening to this music, you know, we're being opened up. Some of us may feel like, you know, flushed a little bit, you know, as we're listening to it, especially if we, we hear something that makes so much sense to us. So the more we listen, we are actually opening ourselves up for our own healing. You know, so surprise it's not the person who's coming to you who's healing you it is you and the God in you that's actually healing you so stop putting all your faith and trust in the doctors you need to put the faith and trust that you have and center it all on what God has given you innately 
And music is one of those medicines that can be used to help to bring about healing. Mm. Beautiful, once again, Susan, as you were speaking, <laughs> I thought about the universe, you know, how everything yes. in the universe has a rhythm, you know? Um, and so, yeah, beautiful. I can't wait until we go deeper into that. Anything else you want to share with us, Sister Tissa, on um, some of the things you already talked about or, you know, maybe include something else? I want to get into the fact that one of the conversations that we're going to be delving into outside of just the physical will be color as well, Sister Sharita. Um, That's going to be a future conversation. I know we've done this subject before, dealing with, you know, a lost coloring what is it, the majestic (laughs) healing of of, of the laws coloring? Coloring, yes. yes. And um, that's something that I think would be such an important conversation for us to delve back into because when we understand music, like we talk about music, if someone were to close their eyes, some people have the ability to actually, and I know you do this, Sister Sharita, to close your eyes and you can see color. (laughs) Allah Wegba. You see color dancing as you hear each of these sounds, you know, it's like it, it stimulates your ability to see color. Some people actually get smells that kind of come to them. And um, once again, there is the signature of love, not only in the music, but in the color. Because each color, if it were to be shined on a specific area, you know, if you shine it on a specific area, it will actually cause that particular area to increase in its vibration to match that of the color that is shining on it. But only the particular organ that is touched by that color will actually, when it matches that vibration, it will bring it up to its ultimate performance. So when you're doing color tonations, it's important to note, and, and you know what? This color tonation thing is not far from us. Anybody who's ever had a baby in the hospital who had jaundice, what's the color that they use to help to bring about more oxygen in the baby's blood? They use the color blue. So they put the baby under these blue lamps because the skin of the baby is yellow. Now, if you look on the color spectrum, you'll see that yellow and blue are complementary um, opposites in a sense to each other you know and so the blue causes the yellow in the blood or the yellow which is caused you know which is the jaundice which of course is sort of it has a bit to do with the development of the of the liver which by the way is linked to a starvation conflict (laughs) that whole jaundice thing you know there's something there to do with um the baby coming out of its in its original environment where it's used to just receiving its food on demand as needed. I mean, it's constantly being fed. In fact, it doesn't have to demand. The food is there, constantly being fed to it. The nutrients are there. Now imagine you take me out of the environment of my mother's womb and, you know, you cut off my navel string, which has been feeding me. You tie this thing off then I have to seek another source or means for me to eat. And sometimes in hospitals, doctors will pull the child away from the mother for yes. a long period of yes. time. 
go and weigh them. Of course, they have to do the APGAR. I mean, I worked with, and with uh, midwives before in my training as a doula in, in my early training for midwifery. So, of course, you have to sort of determine the APGAR scores, but that could be done while the mother is holding the baby and nursing the baby. And in a sense, they've discovered that in midwife, midwifery, there's less incidence of jaundiced babies than there are in the hospital. So why is that? Is, is it just happening? You know, like, oh, this just happened? Or is this linked to, once again, that starvation conflict? You know, I'm hungry. Where's my food coming from? What's going on? You know, um, I, I don't even know these voices, these faces. I know nothing here. I'm coming from darkness straight into light. Everything is just traumatizing on this baby versus being held by a familiar uh, voice, you know, in the arms of a, of a familiar voice and understanding this is my mother because I know this voice, you know. So there's less trauma, less incidence of fear, and definitely the fear of starvation could easily be overcome by a nipple being introduced to that baby's mouth as the baby latches on. But, of course, the use of the color blue, back to that conversation, is what helps to transform it. But why? Because the color blue, Sister Sharita, is linked to oxygen, yes. you know. Blue is what about oxygen. It, it inspires oxygen in the blood. You know, red inspires hydrogen, you know, and other colors inspire other elements or nutrients you know, and, and sort of bring them foremost. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, you said it red. I was going to bring up red, but you oh, only yes. gave us the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, red. But that's just to show us just how, you know, when we deal with different colors, which I know we'll delve into, and we've done this one before, so it's wonderful to go back to these colors again because we're going to be dealing with color, you know, for healing. And then, of course, Part of our conversations will be, as we deal with these conditions, exploring in the second part of our conversation the foods that would be helpful and supportive, things that can be said, intentions that can be used that are extremely helpful and very supportive during that condition. For example, and I'll just give this one, dealing with the colon, dealing with family conflicts or issues. Or, you know what, how about the jaundice? Let's go back to that jaundice because anytime a baby has that condition, even though it would be healed, quote-unquote, by the blue light, and it, and it is healed by it, the mind is still present. So you may have a baby that, it tends, that has a, um, an extreme case of jaundice. You'll discover that that particular child, as they grow up, is going to be always deeply concerned about eating <laughs> or concerned about the presence of food in their environment getting extremely irate if they don't have access to things to eat or, um, you know, if they lose a job, you know, they fall deep into depression because every single thing in their environment is based on whether or not they can eat or they will starve to death. And they may even say that I'm going to starve to death, you know, so. Yes. 
part of the and we know people like this because they're hoarders yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many of us have grandmothers you know or grandfathers oh who were in a <laughs> who went through the, the depression although black people been depressed i mean <laughs> we went through that right, right. i don't know if we really were affected but i know i used to hear my like my mother they, she was raised up in an era where for hours and hours when the war the, the um Second World War, you know, was uh, was going. They had to hide for hours, and she was a child at the time, and they used to have to hide, and they could not. I mean, they couldn't even move in their homes. They would stay still, you know, in one place all day long. Um, it was terrifying. But she spoke about the fact that during that time, food and everything was low because the things that they were so used to having access to, they didn't have that anymore, you know. So. When I listen to my mother speak about things, you know, it's almost like she has this bit of that conflict. Um, and she's very overly concerned about whether people are eating or if there's enough food. Yes. My mother will buy cases and cases and cases of one thing, you know, because yes, of her yes. concern about that. And we'll notice that our grandparents do the same thing. Now, that's not a bad thing, as we know. No, it's not. Especially in these survival times that we're coming to, because we should be doing this. But I'm, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of why are we doing these things? Because it's not that it's a bad thing, but we have to now understand why. So, therefore, when we do it, it's not based on the same intention of, oh, God, I'm going to starve to death. But it's based right. on an intention that... You know what? There's so much food. It's in abundance, and I'm, I'm storing up for my neighbors. I don't have to go and light a fire to hide from other people, you know, my food, or do like that brother, Sister Sharita, that we heard about from Dr. Aleem, who, would, who said he was storing up stink bombs, and he was going to stink bomb the place, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he cooks his beans, he's going to stink bomb the whole place for nobody. But, no, it's an idea of there being abundance. I'm not going to starve, you know, I can fast, and I believe that even this month, beginning this conversation during this month is so important, because at this time, we're not drinking anything, we're not eating anything, but yet this aspect of fasting, this voluntary fast, this spiritual fast, you know, we're understanding that food is actually energy, it's, it's condensed energy. But even if I'm not eating a physical food, what am, I, what am I sustaining myself on during the day? It's a spiritual food. So we're looking at how we can change and transform our perspective. And then we can create almost like an, you know, some sort of intention. For example, Sister Sharita, like, what do you think would be a good intention just based on understanding that starvation? What would you be able to tell someone that they should say to overcome starvation praise be to Allah I would say a lot sufficient a lot mm. sufficient you know and that whatever I need and this is the thing that I'm that I was really blessed yes. it's becoming very clear to me you know thought and intention and when I look over um you know some of my experiences man I've never starved I've never been homeless you know I've never <laughs> been close to it you know praise be to Allah but always yes something, you know, I, it just never happens. So that's my evidence that a lot of them be sufficient. But that comes in time, and it's a process, you know, 
but getting back to ourselves, as you said, you know. So I think that these type of conversations are very, very important. I know that, um, again, I can't help but think about the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but because before the teachings, I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine that I would be having these type of conversations, you know. Praise be to Allah. So I would say Allah is be sufficient. And everything that and we I need. And I agree with you. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Yeah. Allahu it's already Akbar. here, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree yes. with you. And I believe that that's probably the best thing that we can say, that he is sufficient. Because the more that we begin to look around us, and this kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation regarding love. You know, just take a moment now and just look around you. What do we see? You know, if we are seeing poverty or we're seeing things we don't have, then we have to understand where that thought comes from. And that's a conflict. And I bet you that there's something physically that is being made manifest in our lives that is based on that imbalance in our thinking. But if we look at our environment as being abundance, being love, and being providence, beneficence, mercy, then how does that transform our thinking, you know? And that's something. Oh, definitely. And I believe that when we do that, when we do that, Sister Sharita, you know, that's going to give us the power that we're going to be needing to be able to change the way we think. That's the power for us to be able to overcome our current conditions. You know, and I don't, I don't know what our listeners may be suffering with. I'm sure, you know, I know as we're moving now to our last 10 minutes, we're going to be delving into the announcement. But if you have a particular condition that you would like us to discuss, which we will, you know, we would like you to join in with the conversation with us and we would like to discuss that condition and look at the condition from the thought process, the original thought attached to that condition. You know, I know people talk about diabetes, but where does diabetes come from? You know, it's like, you know, what about kidney failure? What is that? What thought is that? Or I'm blind in one eye. Well, what thought is that? Or, you know, um, my foot is always hurting me. Or, you know, I got a lower back pain, lots and lots of it, you know. All of these things, they don't just happen. Thoughts, in a sense, grow these conditions. They seed them and they grow them and they feed them. And we are now going to learn how to take back control of the water of our thoughts and only feed that which will grow us up into that of someone who's healed. And I want to close on these final thoughts, Sister Sharita. I know as we move into more of the announcements, to share with our listeners that I myself suffered with um, certain conditions. I've had issues with my thyroid. I've had issues with my kidneys. I've had issues with my colon. I've had issues with my, um, my liver. So when I'm speaking about these conditions, I'm speaking about them from a, the perspective of a person who has decided that I'm not going to go in to have dialysis done to address my kidney issues, even though that was suggested to me or is being suggested to me. Rather, for me, excuse me, 
my intention to deal with my kidneys is the one that I've taken, which is a very natural approach. It's looking at the kidneys from their physiological function and also the chemical makeup, certain elements that feed the kidneys or that are produced, you know, by the kidneys. Like kidney failure has a lot of issues with ammonia being present. Now, ammonia comes from a lack of oxygen. So if I'm going to counteract kidney issues, then I have to find a way to introduce more oxygen into my system. And there are far simpler ways of doing this. And I don't want anyone to take our conversation, Sister Sharita, and think that we are giving medical advice because we're not. We are not giving medical advice. It is not our intention to get in between you and your physician. Even though I'm a doctor of natural medicine, I am not a medical doctor. Um, And I don't want to go against what advice you have been uh, given by your medical doctor. And I would advise that you take their advice and you work with them. And if you feel that you want to try something else, you're welcome to do that because all of these that we're giving are simply suggestions. And yes. it's not something that, are, that is really a theory as much as it is something that is practiced. And I have practiced it in my own life. And I want to share that as well as the lives of my clients. And I really want to share that information so possibly we can have a different perspective on healing. Mm-hmm. And God willing... We can take back full control, demystifying ourselves from the fear, you know, of death and all of these things and really just embracing life and life more abundantly. So with that being said, Sister Sharita, I want to thank you for this network, Cyan Radio Network and its ability to host these kind of conversations. And I really would like to just thank our listeners for joining us today, being a part of our conversation. We want to hear back from our listeners as well. And, uh, you know, you can email us at lovemedicine19 at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. This is our first episode of sorts. And there will be many conversations on various areas as we discussed. So just send us an email at love, L-O-V-E, medicine, M-E-D-I-C-I-N-E, 19 at gmail.com, lovemedicine19 at gmail.com. And we'll be hosting this on our SoundCloud page by the same name, Love the New Medicine, on SoundCloud. So... This will be a continual podcast, and we'll give you more details as to how it will be featured in iTunes as well and hosted in other networks. So we really thank you for your time and energy, Sister Sharita, you know, for the announcements as well. I'm passing it over to you. So thank you again, Sister, for everything you're doing with this network. I have to give all praises and thanks to Allah. I tell you the thing I would like to close with is, you know, um, the more we go deeper into this thing, because you already explained that we're not trying to get anyone, we're not doctors, we're not saying that we are, but the deeper we, uh, the more we go into it, you know, the more questions we ask, and the more questions that we can ask, the more answers are given to us, 
And one of the things that I found is that we know how to heal ourselves within within ourselves. We know. But we've never asked the right questions. We've never wondered. You know, we always look to someone else to do it. So I say praise be to Allah. This is just the only thing I want to say is I thank Allah for you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful job today. I cannot wait until we go deeper into the shows. And again, family, we will see you next week, next Tuesday, same place and same time. With that being said, I greet you in peace. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. <laughs>